You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Thanks, Ryan and Dean, for getting our hearts and minds fixed on the Lord as we get started. How are you doing? Thanks, Logan. Kennedy, it sounds like I'm getting some feedback, so I'll try to talk louder so that you don't have to turn it up so high. As Dean just read, we are in Ephesians chapter 4, finishing up the chapter. As we get into today's text, we see that Paul starts with another therefore, which seems to happen quite a bit. So we're told right off the bat that we need to go back to what precedes So I want to take just a minute and remind ourselves of what therefore is saying. The HELPS Word Studies says it's looking backward to properly look forward. I like that. Looking backward to properly look forward. That really helps as we look at the context here at verses 25 to 32. So to what are we looking back? We're looking back to the fact that because we are renewed in the spirit of our minds through the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is our guarantee of God's promised redemption and who, according to verse 24, is the one who empowers us to live righteous and holy lives, we're to put off our old self and put on the new self who is created in the image of God. This idea of putting off and putting on is affirmed by Paul in the book of Romans and Colossians, by James, by Peter and 1 Peter, as well as by the writer of Hebrews. I'd like to read just a couple of those, four of those actually. In Romans chapter 13, verses 12 to 14, Paul says, So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And then he goes on in verse 14 to say, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's clear cast off works of darkness, put on the armor of light. In Colossians 3, 8 to 10, Paul again says, but now you must put them all away. Get rid of them. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. He goes on in verse 12, saying what should be put on. So we see those three places. Paul's saying essentially the same thing. Put off the old man, put on the new man. Our self is transformed. James, in chapter 1, verse 21, says, Therefore, put away, same word, all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness, and that idea of receiving is putting on, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Peter tells us to put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, I know that two of the three community groups worked through this passage this week, so you're already way ahead of me. And so I'm sure you're aware that the picture here, this putting off and putting on, is the idea of removing or donning a garment. This word for putting off was used in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen is being stoned of the men who were stoning him taking their garments and laying them 
at Paul's feet. So it's a very clear picture. Now, if that's not clear enough, I have an object lesson for us today. This garment is my old fleece. I wear this in the shop. I wear this when I work in the yard and it's a little bit cool. And my wife is deeply embarrassed right now. If the pew could go down further, she'd be grateful. Notice it's covered with paint. It's usually covered with sawdust. There's probably grease on here. I know there's dirt. There's plenty of sweat. This is an old garment. It doesn't even fit me all that well anymore. It's floppy and loose and nasty. This is a pretty good picture of our old self. And so, so here, you get it. I'm putting off. And, and this is the picture. There's all that stuff gone. That's the picture that Paul is using here to get us there. I'm not going to do the putting on. We're going to believe that I've already done that. And I was thinking in this process, though, if the putting on is equally important because if we've put off the old, we're left there undressed, which is worse, almost, than the old. It does give us the place where God can finish his transforming work. I'm not allowed to sit on anything when I'm wearing that jacket. We should look at putting off. As we, as we go on, keep that in mind. I want to share another example of putting off and putting on that's real fresh in my mind because this last week was marching band camp. Uh, kids all got together. They've not done anything musical all summer, and this is when we learn our marching show. And so my freshmen have never marched, so they have to learn a whole new world. Now, all of them come to camp knowing how to walk and breathe. But that is kind of like the old man. It's what we have. It's what we come equipped with. Walking and breathing are processes that we do naturally, but walking and breathing aren't marching. They come to marching camp, and we transform that. Our marching style uses a glide step. You can't just stand here like this. You have to stand tall. You can't just walk around. You land with your heel and you lift your toes. And it's very smooth in your torso and it's a very regal look if it's done right. And we work hard for them to do it right. Breathing is radically different too. You can't just breathe in your chest. You have to breathe down in your belly because not only do you need to be able to maintain the energy to march, sometimes at a rapid tempo, but you're playing an instrument loudly at the same time. So you've got this double requirement on your air. So you can't just take little shallow chest breaths. You have to breathe way down deep, filling your lungs up. And they have to learn how to do that because most of us don't do that naturally. I demonstrate, I have others demonstrate, we work carefully. They practice those skills until they, they become part of them. And then we get going about the second or third day, and it's, I notice as I'm watching the band that many of them aren't marching. They're walking. They're just back to what's natural, not their transformed life, their natural life. And I have to remind them of what they're doing. I have to remind them of what it takes to do what we're doing. And they, the same thing happens with their sound. They relax on their air, and all of a sudden we're getting this terrible sound. It's pretty obvious that they're reverted back to what was old, not what is new. That pictures to me a little bit of the idea of putting off and putting on. And it helps me as I look at verses 25 to 32 
the picture that Paul's painting for us of our new life. As we go through this passage, though, it's important to remember that this putting on is not works that we do to make us righteous. It's evidence of the righteousness that God produces in us in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So my hope is those examples, my marching band, my old jacket, can help us picture what Paul's calling us to as we work through this passage. So in verse 25, Paul begins to show us what it looks like to put off our old self and put on our new self. Uh, In his commentary on Ephesians, Harold Honer lists five exhortations found in this passage. And I'd like to use these. I think they're very helpful in seeing how this is put together. The first exhortation is do not use falsehood, but speak the truth. That's verse 25. The second is do use anger, but do not sin. Verse 26. The third, do not steal, but work to give to the needy. The fourth is do not use corrupt words, but edify with words. That's verses 29 and 30. And then the fifth one is do not be malicious, but edify with actions. So we've got five exhortations. Don't use falsehood, but speak the truth. Do use anger, but do not sin. Do not steal, but work to give to the needy. Do not use corrupt words, but edify with words. And don't be malicious, but edify with actions. Each of these exhortations is in three parts. There's a negative command, a positive command, and the reason for the positive command. And I found this format really helpful, and I'd like to use this as we look at this passage. So the first exhortation in verse 25, do not use falsehood, but speak the truth. The first negative command is to put off falsehood. The idea of falsehood includes every form of dishonest speech, lies, misrepresentations, promises we don't intend to keep. It's anything that's not true. We're told in John 8, verse 44, that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. So it should be easy for us to see that any falsehood doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from our new nature, but rather from Satan and the old man who we are supposed to have put off. Falsehood and deceptions are part of that old life. Not part of the new life, but part of the old life to have been put off. Paul begins the positive part of this command, speak the truth, by quoting from Zechariah 8.16. In in Zechariah, God's telling the people of Israel through Zechariah that he's going to bless them. When they're blessed, the first thing they are told to do is speak the truth to one another. That one another is also translated your neighbor. So we see here that part of God's character is truth Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, that he is the truth. And as part of our new nature, we're called to put on truth. So there are two ideas here. First, we're to always speak the truth, especially to those near to us. Near to us is the idea of relationship. And Paul uses that term one another or neighbor to indicate that relationship. So he's specifically talking to the body of Christ. We're called to speak the truth to each other. We know God's word is true. We can use the word 
to be an encouragement to one another. But we also know we're to speak the truth at all times, so it doesn't give us an excuse to be dishonest with unbelievers, like an escape clause. We know from the story of the Good Samaritan that our neighbor is the people around us with needs. Not necessarily the people we like, necessarily the people we want to help, people with needs. We're called to speak truth with them as well as our Christian brothers and sisters. The reason, so we have the negative command, the positive command. The reason behind this positive command is the second key idea. that we're part of one another. We're reminded that we need to be genuine, honest, and honest. One of the truths related to this is that the new life that we have put on is based on reality. Reality is the truth of God's word and not on lies. We need to live out this reality that we are genuinely connected to one another through the cross. Danny and I were just talking out front before this, the reality of how much we need one another. We don't like that idea. We don't deal well with that idea in our culture. But that is truth. Put off the old man that that lies. Put on the new man that speaks truth for the benefit of others. Exhortation 2, verses 26 and 27 is, Do use anger, but do not sin. All of the others start with a negative command. This one starts with a positive command. So Paul switched this around. We're told to be angry. Just like that, be angry. I I haven't seen a translation that doesn't say it that way. Okay. Seems like most of us have that one down. Right? We've been given the green light from God to express our anger. Let's just go on. That's a little contradictory. Especially because when we look down in verse 31, we're told in the same passage to put away anger. We also find in Scripture that in Proverbs 15.1, it says, Grievous words stir up anger. Doesn't sound like a good thing. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. So controlling our anger sounds important if there's anger there. Galatians 5.19 says, The works of the flesh are evident. Fits of anger. Mm, That's not good. Colossians 3.8 that we just read, But now you must put them all away. Put them off anger. How? How can we be told to be angry when we're told to put away anger? Well, that's where the negative part of this exhortation is so necessary. That part that says, sin not. It's important to note that both God the Father and Jesus displayed anger. We know there's no sin in God, so anger in itself is not necessarily sinful. Paul tells us here to be angry and not sin, so what does that look like? Best way to determine this seems to be to know what makes God angry. Because if God can't sin and can yet be angry, that would be the place where we find appropriate anger. 
Scripture shows us that this happens when wrong has been done against a person, a person who is one of God's creatures made in his image, or against God himself. Think about it. The times when we see God angry as we look through, especially in the Old Testament, were the times when the children of Israel were disobedient. The times when they intentionally chose to turn against what God had told them about themselves, about himself. Think of Jesus in the temple overturning the tables of the money changers. It was an affront to God. And he said, is my father's house a den of thieves? So Jesus, again, was looking at something that was opposed to God's person and his commands. We can see that God's anger was always aimed at sin. So how do we accomplish this? Be angry, but do not sin. All of the commentators I read were pretty much in agreement, and they said when God or a member of the body of Christ is wronged, when we see people being harmed, anger is appropriate. In his commentary on Ephesians, Ironside quoted a Puritan writer who said, I am determined so to be angry as not to sin, therefore to be angry at nothing but sin. Let me share that one again, because the wording is a little tricky on our tongues. I am determined so to be angry as not to sin, therefore to be angry at nothing but sin. So if we can't be angry at anything but sin, our anger can't be based on wrong done to us because we're called to forgive. We don't have place to be angry there. In fact, if the focus of anger is me, hurt or revenge or indignation, it's sin. If anger is because God has been wrong, his word has been slighted, his name has been besmirched, someone is being abused, it's not sin. But Paul gives us a qualifier in that. And it's the control part for the qualifier we need to look at. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why is that important? Well, if we keep holding on to anger, our anger is selfish. Anger held on to becomes bitterness, and bitterness is sin. So it's possible to be angry and not sin. It's okay to do that, but it has to be on God's conditions. The reason that we're given here to not be angry when we sin is so that we don't give Satan an opportunity. Remember, Satan's the father of lies. If he can distract us, he can keep us from being effective. He enjoys that, seeing believers ineffective. When I think about the times I get angry, I know how easily I can justify it. And it's usually not because God has been dishonored or someone's being abused. It's usually because I take offense because I'm hurt. And I know how well I hold on to my, my anger. Sometimes it just feels really good to be mad, and that's the old man that we're supposed to have put off. That's what Paul's calling us to leave behind. 
I know that in those times I haven't put off the old man. I'm clinging to that, and I can't. I have to allow the new man that God's created to rule. We must never use this verse to justify any anger that is not caused by a wrong to God or his word or his people. And that takes us to verse 28 and the third exhortation. Don't steal, but work, and work to give to the needy. This one's pretty clear. Don't steal. Put it off. Not delay stealing, but cast it aside, right? The same, same way we're looking at that already. It seems a little strange in this list that believers would be called not to steal. How are they stealing, and, and from whom are they stealing? Well, it doesn't seem that Paul's talking about professional thieves. It doesn't seem that it talks about believers stealing necessarily from believers slighting each other. Um, E.A. Best says that it was most likely laborers who were stealing things they handled, or shopkeepers who cheated their customers with crooked scales or shoddy products that were overpriced. We could probably bring that up to date. Um, I know it worked for me. I steal time with YouTube sometimes. It's pretty easy to be there. There are, there are a lot of ways. It was often justified because they were supplying the needs of their family. They lived in a day that there were no guaranteed salaries. Many of them were day laborers who may or may not have work. There was no unemployment or welfare system. So things were much more difficult just to survive. And so, sadly, this was going on in the Christian community as well as the secular community. And so we see behavior, once again, that's not consistent with what they were called to and what they were empowered to become. It was a behavior that needed to be put off. So what was the reason? Why were they called and why are we called to honest work and to not steal? Well, it was to rightly provide resources to help others in need. They were called to earn a living and share the things that they have. They weren't called to give away everything they have. They weren't called to give everybody. They were called to help those in need. That's part of the new man that we've put on. They were called to use their hands to, honor, to honestly gain a living, not to dishonestly take that which belonged to others. They were called to be different than the culture they were living in, just as we are. The fourth exhortation in verses 29 and 30. Do not use corrupt words, but edify with words. So this fourth exhortation, we have the negative command not to use words that are corrupt or unwholesome. The idea of corrupt speech is a pretty vivid picture. It's that of something that's foul or putrid. One of the commentaries said it's like rotten fish. That is corrupt speech. It smells like rotten fish. Unwholesome goes further. Not to have words that just smell bad like foul language. But words that are unprofitable. They're not beneficial for building each other up. That can be simply empty and useless things. We're called to use speech that builds others up and fits the occasion. That's the positive side of this command. Use words that build up. 
we should speak in a way that our fellow believers are built up and encouraged. Take just a second. I want you to think about the last conversation you had with a believer. Were you built up? Did you walk away encouraged? I hope the answer is yes, because that means we're putting on the new man and we're putting off the old man. Now, this is a little tougher. You can't know because you're not them, but do you think they walked away encouraged and built up? That's our goal. That's what God would have us to do. The reason for this positive command is to give grace. Unmerited favor or enable them to live the way they're supposed to, to the hearer. Our words should benefit others in their Christian walk. They should lift spirits and point one another to Christ. That is our positive command to edify with the words we have and why we need to put off corrupt speech. As we come to verse 30, Honer includes grieving the Spirit of God as part of the negative command in this fourth section. Because of the grammatical structure, and I'm not going to bore you with it because I sat scratching my head for a while to sort that out. The use of and, though, best ties grieve not the Spirit to let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. So the word grieve refers to sorrow, and it reminds us that the Holy Spirit's a person, not an object, not a force. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. To further clarify the role of the Holy Spirit, Paul reminds us that the Holy Spirit seals us for the day of redemption. We belong to God. He will redeem us. We should be living a life consistent with this truth. So how do we avoid grieving the Holy Spirit? If indeed grieving the Spirit ties us directly to letting corrupt communication come out of our mouths, then to not grieve the Spirit is to avoid foul speech and words that don't do anything to build up the hearer. Now, I know I've heard many different directions taken with that, and I'm grateful that one of the things that we're reminded of is context. What does it relate to? And Paul gave us that here. So we see that corrupt, unwholesome words do two things. They impede our spiritual growth, the spiritual growth of fellow believers, and they grieve the Holy Spirit. We're called to not do that. And that brings us to our fifth exhortation. Don't be malicious, but edify with actions. So here, on the negative side, we're called to put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. The idea of putting away here is strengthened. This is a stronger word than was used for removing the garment. It's the picture of being swept away in a flood. And if you've ever watched that, water coming down fast and things just going away, the mudslides in Colorado are a fairly good picture of that fast movement. So this is even stronger. So as we look at bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice, they need to be swept away. 
not just laid down, but swept away. Bitterness is best translated as resentment, so we're supposed to get rid of resentment. We've looked at anger and wrath in other parts here, and they indicate both that quick boiling anger that happens really fast. You hit your hand with a hammer, you get angry. It goes away fast, but it comes up fast. But also with abiding prolonged wrath. Clamor is shouting, like yelling at each other. And slander is abusive speech against men and God. That sounds like having a fight with your spouse. One of those knock down, drag out, you're both mad conversations. I've seen those kind of interactions before, sadly. I've participated in them before. Fortunately, by the grace and power of the Spirit, I can see them for what they are, part of the old man that must be put off. And praise the Lord through his grace. He lets me recognize that before they happen more often than when they're happening. Is that fair? <laughs> Thank you. It, God's word is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. He keeps transforming us. Paul includes malice here. And the use of malice indicates that all of, all of these terms are included as part of wickedness. Malice is like the overarching umbrella. We've seen that anger is not necessarily sin. But the way malice is used here, anger in this context is sin, and that's why it's to be put off. And so Paul's saying all forms of evil are to be put off from our lives, cast aside, swept away like a flood. The positive command of this fifth, fifth exhortation comes in three parts. And I know there's a lot of three parts and two parts and five parts to keep track of here. But you'll see them each time you read through this. It lays out very, very nicely. They're really clear. They're really straight ahead. I don't think they even need to be explained. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Forgive one another. Simple to understand, clear in application, not easy to do. All of those require the work of the Holy Spirit in us, that putting on of the new creation. These are evidences, by the way, of that new creation at work. And then Paul closes with this final reason for this command. Why are we to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving? Because God in Christ has forgiven us. That motivates my life. When I stop and I think about how God has transformed me, when I think about the new life I have in Him, when I think about what He took me from and what He has made me, how, first of all, how can I not be grateful and desire to live a life that honors Him? But how can I give any less than that to others who are created in His image, for whom He has done the same thing? We're called to be different because of the work Christ has done on the cross. We're to be different because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're to be different because our new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness 
and holiness. We need to allow those five exhortations to be evident in our lives and to ring true. Don't use falsehood. Speak the truth. Use anger, but don't sin. Don't steal. Work to give to the needy. Don't use corrupt words. Use words that edify. Don't be malicious. Be tender-hearted, kind to one another, forgiving. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.